talking today about winning souls with our influence. This morning we began our study by talking about a number of things. First and foremost, we talked about the fact that everyone has influence in one way or another. The question really is, is that influence good or is it not so good? We talked today about how to... Uh, about the fact that the goal of our influence should be soul winning and how we should uh, go about uh, making that goal a reality. And the two things that we discussed this morning along that line were these. Number one, remembering the importance of soul winning. We talked about the command to seek and save the lost and how important it is for us to follow the example of our Lord, how we're debtors to our fellow man to spread the gospel, how we have a responsibility But also that the the spreading of the gospel is not just by what we say, but also what we do and how we live. And so with that in mind then, we talked about understanding what's required if we're going to win souls with our our influence. We talked about the need to be faithful and not hypocritical. The need to have care and compassion and concern for those who are in need and those who are lost. The need to be tactful and prayerful and, of course, be convicted about the message that we're proclaiming and what we're seeking to live. Tonight, we want to look at this from a negative standpoint, and that is to say, what are some things that are going to harm us from uh, using our influence to win souls? What are some things that can be present in our lives that, if it's the case that they're there, they're they're going to keep us from being the people God would have us to be and influencing people for good? Let's talk about some of those things, first of all. First and foremost, I guess the most obvious thing, and maybe the most important, is that when we do something to harm our reputation, then that's going to hinder us from using our influence to win souls for the Lord. You know, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 1 says that a good name is better than treasure. And that's absolutely true. Sometimes we work years to build a good reputation, a good name. Uh, Maybe we're talking about in our particular professional field or whatever the case may be. We work for years on solidifying the reputation that we have and isn't it true that a reputation that is, that is gained over years can be lost in mere moments? It can be lost by maybe something that we say, maybe something that we do. It can be lost by some uh, sin, uh, of, to, uh, sin of varying degrees. But re- whatever the case may be, when our, when our reputation is harmed, when harm meets that reputation then that's going, to, that's going to prevent us from influencing people as we should. We have an example of this in, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, at least to some degree. This is the occasion in Galatians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, where the Apostle Paul talks about the occasion in which he had to withstand Peter to the face. And the reason why Paul says he had to withstand Peter to the face is because... There was a time in which Peter would sit down and he would eat a meal with those Christians who were Gentiles. But then the Bible tells us that certain from James came to Jerusalem, uh, or from Jerusalem, and whenever Peter saw them, then he removed himself from eating in the presence of the Gentile Christians, and he would only have fellowship with those who were Jewish Christians. Certainly, Peter must have feared what a kind of reprimand might come from James and some others. And so Paul called him on it, and he said, you're being hypocritical. 
This is an occasion of something that someone can do that can harm their reputation. Of course, we know that Peter would go on to be an elder and that he would go on to be very faithful. He was faithful even in this momentary lapse of judgment, this moment, momentary uh, unfortunate deed that he was involved in. He made it right. But the point still stands that it's very easy for us to engage in some sort of action that can very quickly undo a reputation that we've spent years to build. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one who is respected for wisdom and honor. If we harm our reputation, if we do something to harm that reputation, then it's going to prevent us from influencing souls for good. Here's another one. We talked this morning about the importance of caring for the lost. But what if you don't care for the lost? I think about a passage like Luke 19 and verse number 41, where the Bible describes Jesus and how Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because of uh, how badly he wanted for them to listen to him and how badly he wanted them to uh, obey what he had to say, but they refused to do it. And in that passage, we see the care of our Lord for the lost. I think about Romans 9, verses 1 and following, where Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. How bad did Paul want his Jewish brethren to obey the gospel? How much did he care for them? So much so that he's willing to say, I could wish myself a curse for their sake. If that meant that they would be saved, then that would be my wish. But then look at how the Bible also presents great pictures in contrast to that. Do you remember Luke chapter 15, verse 25 and following? What the parable of the prodigal son is really all about? That parable is not really about the prodigal son after all. That parable is about the older brother. The beginning of Luke chapter 15 tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees, that they look with disdain upon our Lord because he spent time with and he was in close proximity to those who were publicans and sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they stayed away from them. And so we have the three parables in that chapter. The parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost son. But in the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, in verse 25 and following, We begin to read about this older brother. And the Bible tells us that when the prodigal son returned to his father, that after the father rejoiced at his returning, the older brother did completely the opposite. He wanted to know why his father hadn't killed the fatted calf in uh, some sort of response to something that he had done. He wanted to know why everyone was making such a big fuss about a younger brother who had taken what wasn't actually his and who had wasted it while the older brother was at home working and doing the things that he should have been doing. You see, that older brother was representative of the scribes and the Pharisees in the first two verses of the chapter who looked with disdain upon Jesus because he cared for those who were lost and who needed him the most. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 13 and 14, Jesus speaks to that group of scribes and Pharisees, and this is what he has to say to them or about them. Matthew 23, verse 13 and 14, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation." 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Notice there are groups mentioned in these two verses, not just talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, but in verse 14, we have the widows and their houses. And then in verse 15, we have the proselytes. That's a a Gentile who is converted, if you will, to Judaism. And he says, listen, you'll go far and beyond the call of duty in order to win one proselyte. But as soon as you do that, you corrupt them. You look at the widows whom you should be serving and caring for and protecting, but you don't care enough about them to do that. Instead, you take advantage of them and you devour them. If we're going to really care about the lost, it requires concern. Like Paul in Acts 17 and verse 16, whenever he was in Athens and his spirit was moved and disturbed within him because he saw that the city was completely and wholly given to idolatry. There's urgency, like 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, today is the day of salvation. And there's a recognition of value, like Matthew 16 and verse 26, that one soul is worth more than the entire world. But listen, if we're going to be like the scribes and the Pharisees, like the older brother, Luke 15, like those who devour widows' houses and those who, uh, those who, uh, uh, who turn uh, the proselytes uh, into uh, twice as much a son of hell as themselves, Matthew 23 and verse 15, if we're not going to care for the lost, then we're never going to be able to in- influence them for good. Here's another. What about fear? What about simply being afraid? Maybe it's being afraid of what we might be thought of or how we might be spoken to or about. Maybe it's fear of persecution or fear of rejection. Maybe it's fear that our own friends or maybe maybe even our own, own family members might turn against us because we're striving to live faithfully in the service of God and we're striving to point people toward the cross instead of away from it. Jesus said about that in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, Don't fear those who can only harm the body here on this earth, but fear him who has the ability to harm both soul and body in hell. What he's talking about, the fact is, that in this world there are those who only have the ability to harm our physical bodies, but once they've harmed our physical bodies, they have no more power over us at all. But it's the case that um, if we allow those who only can harm us physically, if we give in to our fears because of what they say or what they do, then it's certainly possible that we might suffer eternally. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation. And it's necessary that if we're going to influence people for good, we can never, ever be ashamed of the gospel that we're seeking to live and teach. Do you remember the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? And in Matthew chapter 25, in verse number 25, as Jesus speaks to the one-talent man, here is his statement, or here is his answer. The talent man said, I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. What is it that the, ta- that the one-talent man says kept him from being who he should have been and doing what he should have done? It was his fear. It was an irrational fear, no question about that, but it was fear nonetheless. And he said, because I was afraid, this is what I've done. And if you're familiar with the parable in the last few verses down through verse number 30, you remember how that all ended up for him. What keeps us or hinders us from influencing people, from winning souls with our influence? Number one, if we do something to harm our reputation, that's going to hinder it. Second, if we don't care for the lost, that's going to hinder it as well. But third, if we're afraid, that will keep us from doing it. But here's the fourth. 
What if we're simply just too busy? What if we never make it a priority? What if we never actually devote the time to looking at those with whom we come into contact on a regular basis, thinking about their needs and thinking about where they are spiritually? What if we never make it a high priority and we're always too busy? What does James 4 and verse 16 tell us about our life? The Bible in that passage tells us that our life is like a vapor, that it's here for a short time and then it's gone. And so because we know the brevity of life, verse 17 says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. That means if I have an opportunity to do good right now presented before me, and I push that opportunity off and say I'll get to it later, that's wrong, that's sinful. If I have an opportunity before me right now, then the Bible says you need to take advantage of that opportunity and you need to do as much good as you can now while you have the ability to do it. We can't just say we're too busy and put off till tomorrow what good can be done today. Sometimes we misunderstand the church's mission. And misunderstanding the church's mission is another thing that can harm us or keep us, rather, uh, hinder us from using our influence to win souls. The Bible tells us that the church is the house of God, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And the Bible tells us that the function or the role of the house of God is the proclamation of the gospel, Mark chapter 16 and verse number 16. If we have an inappropriate view of what the church is all about, if we view it as something other than what God really intends it to be, then we'll not be able to win souls by our influence. Because we'll not think about, we'll not think enough about the importance of winning souls to pay any attention to how we influence them. We have to understand that the church is designed as a soul-winning organization. But the last thing that can hinder us from winning souls by our influence is simply not making it a priority. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, we read about those who didn't make soul-winning or any kind of righteousness the priority. And Jesus says on the day of judgment, he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. But in great contrast to that, in Acts chapter 9, we read about a woman who was all about doing the work of God. And her name was Tabitha. And the Bible tells us that she was always busy about doing good. She always made the work of God a priority. So we have to make a decision. Which one of the two, uh, which one of the two ends are we going to find ourselves Are we going to be among the number who doesn't pay any attention to doing the will of God and hears Jesus say on the day of judgment, depart from me, I never knew you, or will will we be in the number of those who are always busy prioritizing what God wants us to do? We have to make a decision. Now we've talked today a little bit about what's needed in order to influence people. We've talked about uh, what can keep us from influencing people for good. Let's spend the rest of our time together looking at some examples in God's word of those who influence people both for evil and for righteousness. Let's talk about a couple of examples of wickedness first and foremost. I want you to look with me in 2 Kings chapter 9 and I want you to notice what's said with me in that passage. 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 22 When you hear the name Jezebel, of course, there are a number of things that come to mind like idolatry and like sexual immorality and like leading the children of Israel away from the Lord. But there is this statement that's made in 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 22 that sort of summarizes her influence and her fingerprints on the nation of Israel. And listen to what it says. 2 Kings 9.22 says, Now it happened when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And so he answered, What peace? 
As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Isn't it interesting how the fact that the land of Israel, the, the nation of God's people, can be said, uh, is said to have been in a position of conflict. They're in a state of no peace and all because of the influence of Jezebel and what she did to the land of Israel. What about Joshua chapter 23, verse 6 to 8? In Joshua chapter 23, verse 6 to 8, as Joshua talks to the people shortly before his death and shortly before their crossing over the Jordan River, he gives them some instructions about how they're to observe and how they're to obey the commands of God. And he has something to say in verse 6 to 8 about the people in the land where they're preparing to travel. And listen to what he says. He says, therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or the left, unless you go among these nations, uh, these who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not uh, serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done this day. What does he say in verse number 7 about the people and about the nation and about their gods and about how the children of Israel to stay away from them? He says you've got to be careful because if you're not, then you'll allow their negative influence to steer you in the wrong direction. We mentioned this morning about how sometimes we use the illustration of a person who stands up on a stage or on a table and someone else is standing on the ground and they both try to pull the other in their direction and which one is able to succeed? The one who's standing lower is always able to pull the person standing up on the platform down to their level instead of the person standing on the platform being able to bring the person from the floor up to theirs. It is much easier for wickedness to overcome righteousness in some cases than it is for righteousness to overcome wickedness. And so the Bible constantly warns God's people to be mindful of the negative influence of the world in which we live. But what about, what about a good positive influence? What does it look like whenever we win souls with our influence? How can we impact the world for good? Notice these passages and examples. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, we read about two godly women named Lois and Eunice. You remember that the Bible describes them. This is the mother and the grandmother of Timothy. We don't know a lot about Timothy's father, but it's not insignificant that he's not mentioned and it's not insignificant that Paul will go and talk in that chapter and in that book about how Timothy had a great faith and that that faith first dwelt within his mother and his grandmother and how they worked to instill that faith within him. We want to talk about winning souls with our influence. Perhaps the greatest, uh, the greatest area or the greatest uh, sphere in which that happens is at home with our spouse and with our children, uh, with our extended family. Here we have a mother and a grandmother who no doubt influenced this young man for good and think about how many souls Timothy was able to preach the gospel to and how many people he baptized and how much good he was able to do in the kingdom which all began with the positive influence of his mother and his grandmother at home. There's really no way to imagine how much good can be done in this world simply by impacting our children and our grandchildren and our husbands and our wives for the cause of Christ. We also read in the Old Testament about Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41 and following. Remember that Joseph is sold into slavery and he ends up serving in Potiphar's house. 
He ends up in prison because of a false accusation. But before long, because of his ability to interpret dreams, he arrives in the palace. And in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41 and following, the scripture says this about him. This is Pharaoh speaking to Joseph. And he says, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. You keep reading through the book of Genesis. And of course, you note that Joseph, because of his position, will be able to grant all of his brothers and even his father the ability to come and to dwell in the land of Egypt during a time of famine. And we learn because of his influence, because of what he was able to do, that uh, for at least during the time of his life, uh, his family was able to thrive and to grow. And that's one of the reasons why when we turn to the book of Exodus, the Pharaoh who arises and knows not Joseph uh, places them uh, in captivity because he sees their numbers and he sees their might. The children of Israel thrived under Joseph and under his influence. Then there's Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Go through and read about the life of Hezekiah and how it's described in those eight verses. And you'll read about how Hezekiah did good, how he served the Lord his God, how he tore down high places and how he restored worship, at least to some degree, uh, to God. And how he turned the people away from wickedness and pointed them toward the Lord. What a great king and what a great influence. But let's go back to the New Testament and look at two final, uh, two final examples, and then the lesson will be yours. In John chapter 1, and in John chapter 6, and in John chapter 12, we read about a man by the name of Andrew. In John chapter 1, verse 40 and following, one of the twelve who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which uh, being translated is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked on him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Of course, Peter would go on to preach the first gospel sermon recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. He would go on to serve as an elder, we read in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter did a great deal of work for the kingdom. But let me ask you a question. What if Andrew had never gone and found his brother Peter and brought him to the Lord? Would Peter have done any of those things? Later on in the book of John chapter 6 verses 5 and following, we see again Andrew as he is at work when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's Andrew in John chapter 6 verse number 5 who um, says to Jesus in verse 9, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then in John chapter 12, verse 20 to 22, when the Gentiles come and they're looking for Jesus, Andrew is one of the ones to whom they come, and Andrew brings that to the attention of our Lord. Andrew is one who had a good influence. Then there's Philip. We first read about Philip in Acts chapter 6, verse 3 to 5. He's among the number in Jerusalem who are, uh, who are, uh, who are taken out be- because of their qualifications to serve in a very special way. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and following, we read about uh, Philip as he travels to Samaria. And then again as he uh, joins himself by the instruction of God to the chariot of the eunuch and teaches him the gospel as well as, though, as, well as those in Samaria. There's no question that Philip had a great impact on a number of people. And again, just imagine, 
As Philip goes and as he teaches the gospel in Samaria and wins souls for Christ, uh, how many people did those uh, Christians in Samaria teach and how many souls did they impact for good? What about the Ethiopian eunuch? We don't know exactly who he was or exactly what he did, but we do know that um, the church can be found uh, in the area around Ethiopia and in different parts of Egypt uh, throughout uh, the history of the world. Well, there's no way for us to know on this side of eternity what that eunuch was able to do when he went home and who he was able to teach and who he was able to impact. We know that he did something. We know that he must have had a positive impact, and all because of Philip and what he did. There is really no way for us to measure in this life what good impact we can have on souls as we strive to live godly and as we strive to win souls by our influence. There's no way to measure what good can be done in the kingdom in this world. We may not have any idea what good we're doing, even when we don't realize we're doing it. But know that God does. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, as the writer writes to a group of Christians who are discouraged and thinking about giving up, he says, the Lord is not unfaithful to, be, to forget your, uh, that your labor of love in that you have ministered and do minister. The idea, of course, is though you may, not, may, though you may think that no one sees and that no one appreciates and that no one recognizes the good that you're doing, God does. He sees it and he knows it and he appreciates it and he recognizes it. And after all, isn't that really the only thing that matters? Everyone has influence. The question is not whether or not we do. The question is whether or not it's good or evil. And that influence, as we talked about this morning, begins from the moment that we're born into this world. And it will continue on throughout our lives. And even after we've died, our influence will continue to live on. It's not a small matter at all. And so we've got to be mindful. We've got to think about it. How am I influencing people on a daily basis? What kind of reputation do I have? When people see me coming, what do they think? Do they think, here comes someone who loves the Lord and who's trying to live for him and trying to do right? Or do they think, here comes someone who's constantly whining and complaining and who's negative? Someone who's really hypocritical. Someone who's not at all what the Bible says he ought to be. What kind of influence do I have? What kind of influence do you have? The Lord's invitation is offered this evening. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to become a Christian tonight. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Luke 13 and verse 3. Confess your faith. Uh, uh, Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. If you're willing to do that this evening, then God will add you to his church. Acts 2 and verse 47. Maybe tonight you're already a Christian and you're thinking about your influence and you're thinking about the reputation maybe that you've built up with your friends and your family members and your co-workers or anyone else. Is that influence good or is it bad? Can we pray for you? Can we encourage you? Can we help you in some way that you might be able to win souls through your influence? If you have need, come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together. <laughs>